We continue on page 38. Please rise. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. We have come into the presence of God who created us to love and serve him as his dear children, but we have disobeyed him and deserve only his wrath and punishment. Therefore, let us confess our sins to him and plead for his mercy. Merciful Father in heaven, I am altogether sinful from birth. In countless ways I have sinned against you and do not deserve to be called your child. But trusting in Jesus, my Savior, I pray, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Cleanse me from my sin and take away my guilt. God, our Heavenly Father, has forgiven all your sins. By the perfect life and innocent death of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has removed your guilt forever. You are his own dear child. May God give you strength to live according to his will. To the peace of this forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Ezekiel, we see that love speaks the truth in warning. As for you, son of man, I have appointed you to be a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you are to warn them from me. When I say to a wicked man, wicked man, you shall surely die. If you do not speak to warn the wicked man against his way, that wicked man will die because of his guilt, but I will also hold you responsible for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die because of his guilt. But you will have saved your life. So you say, Son of Man, say this to the house of Israel. This is what you are saying. Certainly our rebellions and our transgressions weigh upon us, and because of them we are rotting away. How then can we live? Say to them, 
As surely as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Instead, I take pleasure if the wicked turn from their way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? This is the word of our God. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 51a, as found on page 86 in the front part of your hymnal. chapter 13, reading the first ten verses. We will consider this in our sermon today. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Paul writes, Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for no authority exists except by God, and the authorities that do exist have been established by God. Therefore, the one who rebels against the authority is opposing God's institution and those who oppose will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to evil. Would you like to have no fear of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will receive praise from him, because he is God's servant for your benefit. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because he does not carry the sword without reason. He is God's servant, a punisher to bring wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, it is necessary to submit not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For this reason you also pay taxes, because the authorities are God's ministers who are employed to do this very thing. Pay what you owe to all of them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are summed up in this statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, so love is the fulfillment of the law. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Alleluia. Matthew chapter 18, love leads the Christian to speak. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his sin just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as an unbeliever or a tax collector. Amen, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen, I tell you again, if two of you on earth agree to ask for anything, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. In fact, where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am among them. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 304.
Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our reading from the book of Romans, chapter 13. As a Christian, you are probably well acquainted that with the fact that you alone are equipped to love someone. Maybe that's not something you have thought about for very long, or you haven't thought about recently, but as a Christian, you alone, alone of all people on this earth, you alone are uniquely equipped to love somebody. That's exactly what Jesus talked about on the night before he was crucified, when he showed his own disciples what love looks like. And he said, This is how all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Paul picks up that same thread of the theme here in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Do not owe anyone anything except the continuing debt to love one another. And as a Christian living in a world as light in darkness, as salt in a world that wants to be bland and tasteless, that command is probably the most difficult thing you'll ever encounter. Love one another. Speak the truth in love. Because, because what's very simple for Christians to do, especially if they are acquainted with, with the facts of the life of Christ, or even if they're not, What's very simple for us to do is to assume and presume that once we've got the concept, once we've grabbed onto the nub of it, then, then we're set. Jesus says love, I should love. This abstract concept is immediately brought down into my life, and, and I think of myself, how can I be a loving person? How can I love somebody else? Fairly simple and straightforward. We don't have to give too much other thought to it. Except, there's one tiny problem. Is if we jump immediately from the abstract idea to our own lives. Without looking at what Paul says here, for example, in Romans chapter 13, or what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, we might end up at the wrong place. Which is to say, we might end up with starting at the right place with a proper understanding of love and ending up at a place that thinks we're promoting love and thinks we are being loving when really it's the sort of lovelessness that Christ warns exactly against. One commentator put it this way, that truth without love is brutality and love without truth is sentimentality. How much better could you say it? Truth without love is brutality. The Pharisees pointing at Jesus and saying, How dare? How dare you heal that man? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? The synagogue ruler standing up and saying, Well, Jesus, I know he's had a shriveled hand his entire life, and he just restored it to, to full function. But time out. <laughs> there are six days when you can come to the synagogue and be healed. Don't do that on Sabbath. Truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is sentimentality. And the two ditches on either side of what biblical love looks like, they are equally damaging. Because 
love without truth is sentimentality. We're very well acquainted with that, both from, from our culture or if you observe the American religious scene. Sure, 30, 40 years ago, it was the truth without love. The, the popular preachers standing up on TV shaking their fists about this or that particular sin. True. But not doing it in a way that was seeking to win back the sinner. Rather, doing it in a way that said, I have a secret, and you don't. Not standing alongside as though confessing with them, I confess that I am by nature sinful. But rather confessing and bragging. I'm not like that. But of course, the pendulum has swung. Love without truth is sentimentality. And so it looks like, even within, within the appearance of the Christian church, it looks like the church has taken on all the character and the flavor of the world, applauding and imitating a worldly type of love that tries to embody this abstract concept of love without looking at how the Bible describes it. And so it is right that Jesus takes us by the hand and he says, Dear Christian, love speaks. Love speaks the truth. And Paul tells us, Dear Christian, love is practical. It's not just an abstract concept that God has left up to your own devices. Love is practical because love for God as John tells us, is obeying God's commands. As Paul tells us, love for God means honoring the government that God has placed over us, no matter who happens to be in charge. And love for God means loving one's neighbor. As he, as he concludes, love does no harm to a neighbor. And so the Christian, you and I, standing together at this point in history, wanting to bear a faithful witness to God's truth and God's love, wanting to hold on so desperately to the Word of God when so much of the world will deny it, whether the world at large denying the very aspects of creation that they ought to see, or the world infiltrating God's church and the appearance of God's church, denying pages from God's Word. And you and I, as Christians, we want to, we want to love, because Jesus says, love one another. We want to speak the truth, but we don't want to fall into that truth without love, or that love without truth, because it looks like, it looks like we're on this precarious little path. And there's a very delicate balance between the two. What does love for God really look like? What does love for God really look like? Well, it's very easy for you and me to, to buy into the lie that love for God means, means making a very public statement and taking a very strong public stance. Love for God means standing for the truth of God's word and letting the whole world know that where they stand and what they promote is wrong. Or, love for God. You and I are trying to stay on that narrow path of truth and love, brutality on one side, sentimentality on the other side, 
And we say, well, I want to bear witness to the truth. I want to do all I can to promote God's truth as a citizen, in my own life, in my home, in my church. I hold on to God's word with all of my life because it is my lifeline. But it's very easy then for the Christian to be intimidated and say, well, you know, I can't do anything. Why would I speak up in the public square if it's just going to result in people deriding the word of God and calling Christians backwards? Why would I speak up when speaking up on any of these topics seems so fraught with peril that it would be just the equivalent of pushing every hot button that our culture has to offer? And so the Christian, you and I, we risk being intimidated into silence. I can hold on to God's truth and God's love within the the confines of our church building as long as the government doesn't make any laws that that will hamper that any further. As long as kind of the, the retreat that we hide behind. As long as the government keeps their laws outside so that we can maintain our free speech inside, then and then we can celebrate God's truth and God's love. But have we not been intimidated to think that speaking God's truth and God's love is only for those who know God's truth and God's love and gather around it? And if we get one or two more people every now and then, meanwhile, meanwhile, what God said to Ezekiel still rings true. If you fail to warn, his blood is on your head. And we're boxed in from the other direction. God says we have to speak. The world around us says you dare not speak. And we stand in the middle. We need to hold on to God's truth and God's love, but how? How? Do we throw up our hands? Well, (laughs) not my circus, not my monkeys, and what they do, what they do in their lives is up to them. It doesn't really affect me personally. As long as they keep their problems over there and we'll cultivate our little Christian group over here. That's what um, one author promoted in a book called The Benedict Option. He said basically Christians ought to withdraw from every aspect of the public sphere and the public square, whatever shape you want to use. And Christians ought to cultivate their own almost commune, build up their families and build up their Christian community, and in effect, kind of build up a set of walls to protect their Christianity from the world. But in that case, it's almost like the love of God boxed up in a little cardboard box, cover nailed down on top. We think we've got it, but if love does not act, and if love does not speak, then how loving is it? What shall we do? The world says, or even those who have professed, I would rather, I would rather die than give up my faith in the Word of God. They profess that with us. They have at various times or points or various people of them have professed their faith as they knelt together to receive our Lord's body and blood together, 
But then at some point, something changes. Oh, pastor, you shouldn't be meddling in my life. Or fill your own name in the blank. You think that you can talk to me about what I'm doing? Excuse me? Who do you think you are? It doesn't really affect you, now it does it. Oh boy. What are we to do? When it seems like we're pushed ahead and impelled and even propelled by the Word of God to say, we have to speak, we have no other choice. We cannot help but confess the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on the front side, the world pushes back and says, how dare you, please don't speak. We'll use every lever against you to silence your Christian speech. God says, well, let's place the government over us. And if the government wants to do that, great. But as long as the government in our circumstances has permitted to us the freedom to speech and the freedom to worship together, then we ought to use that. And so we've got this freedom to speak a world that hates it, a God that says you must, even fellow Christians who fall away or fall fall back, and they say, oh, that doesn't really apply, and you really shouldn't be saying that to me. And we're trying to balance on this thin little thread of truth and love together. We risk wavering off one way or the other way. Truth without love. Love without truth. It's almost like we're stuck. What shall we do? Well, Paul takes up Romans chapter 13 exactly after Romans chapter 12. Obvious. Romans chapter 12, very first verse. God says, offer your lives as living sacrifices. An echo of what he had said at the end of chapter 8. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What shall we do? When God says, speak, or else their blood is on your head. When the world says, don't speak, or else we'll bring down destruction on your head. When God says, tell truth and love, and we risk falling off one way or the other. What does love for God really look like? It all comes back to where we began. When Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God defines those things for us. That this is love for God to obey his commands. That love does not do what is evil. But love does no harm to a neighbor. So what does that mean? What does love for God look like? Well... It looks like your Savior at the cross. It looks like your Savior who, who did speak up and was crucified for him. It looks like your Savior who was tempted to take the crown that the people were handing to him. Make us, make us more bread, Jesus. Come on, you can be our king. We'll, we'll make you king by force. We'll kick out the Romans. Think of it. The world cannot stop us. Love looks like your Savior who as the crowds kept rushing to him, he would preach to them, he would share the word of God, and then he would go away. He would send his disciples across the lake, he would go by himself and pray, really returning to the Lord. 
for strength against those temptations because he had one goal in mind and that is your salvation what does love for God look like? it looks like your Savior at the cross it looks like your Savior at the empty tomb it looks like the word of God from Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation where God details our own sordid history of having been separated from him and how he has come to win us back where love is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ where God said you know what my love for them is so deep that I cannot I cannot choose to to send them to hell I would rather send my own son there Jesus did. He suffered the pain of hell, he rose from the dead, and now he says, this is what love for God looks like. Not just some abstract concept where you're kicked out into the world and pushed out of the nest and said, okay, now love one another, figure it out. He says, this is love for God, to obey his commands, to submit to the government that God has placed over you, to, yeah, to use the privileges that our government allows, and when they don't allow them anymore, love for God means speaking the truth of God in love, and speaking the love of God with His truth. This is what love for God looks like. Speaking up to say, dear friend, dear friend, I don't want to, you to go to hell, because eternity is forever. I want you to know Jesus. And so as a Christian speaks, as we speak this truth in love, it really begins the same place that we began our worship service today. I confess that I am by nature sinful, that I have sinned against God in thought, in word, and deed. I can't bring anything to the table, and yet, my Lord, I confess that because of your mercy to me in Jesus, you have promised me forgiveness. So please forgive me once again. What does love for God really look like? It's not so much embodied by signs and placards and bumper stickers. Not necessarily embodied by soup kitchens and thrift stores. Because where it begins is the Christian heart that recognizes I can't bring anything anything to our God. Everything that he has given me in this life is, is a blessing out of his grace. From the, the people that I share this worship service with to the breath in my lungs. Everything. A blessing for my Lord. Everything an example of God's grace most fully seen in Jesus Christ <coughs> at the cross. Where love even is willing to go to the point of sacrificing everything for the sake of those that need it. So what does that look like? Somewhat more concrete. Love means speaking. And not... There's, there's a benefit in speaking on a larger stage, whether that's a, a newspaper or a nationwide television show or something like that. But most of us don't have that opportunity. But love means speaking. One to one. Look at how Jesus talks about it. 
If your brother sins against you, go and show him his sin just between the two of you. And you can almost put that against you in parentheses. Because God isn't calling us here to, to be the detectives and seeking out sin, but rather to recognize. Recognize that the attitude of faith is not one that, that holds to and defends persistent sin. Rather, the attitude of faith is one of repentance. And so what does love look like in your life? And I'm not saying, necessarily, you know, write a letter to the editor. Wonderful. That can be done very well. But I am saying, who is it in your life that you need to speak with? Who is it that you've kind of been putting off that uncomfortable conversation with because, because you're not sure of how they would react? Who is it that if Jesus were to return on the clouds of heaven this afternoon would be the first person on your mind? Shoot, I just wish I had one more day. That's what love looks like. Love that sacrifices my own, my own emotion in the matter to say, well, I really care about this person. And as long as God gives me the opportunity, I'll speak. And I'll do my best to speak the truth in love, which means, first of all, recognizing my own sin, and then secondly, approaching this person as a fellow sinner, so that they too may join us before God's throne of grace. You see, what does love for God really look like? It's embodied in the cross of Christ. And that cross has been placed on you as well. Not the same cross. Because you're not carrying sin. But the cross that says, Dear Lord, you've laid before me a world of responsibilities. My obligations as, as a citizen or a parent or a spouse, whatever the case may be. You've laid before me a world of opportunities, another day. And this, these, these people that you've placed in my life. And Lord, you've given me your word and you've given me every single blessing to meet all of my needs. Lord, it is difficult. But give us the strength. Give us the words. Give us the heart. To speak the truth in love, impelled by the word of God that says, in the end, you need to care more about the other than about the self. Not intimidated by the world that will always push back against what Jesus has said. And always striving over-communicating and saying again and again in as many ways as are needed. I want to avoid the brutality of loveless truth. I want to avoid the sentimentality of truthless love. What does love for God really look like? Truth and love. Walking hand in hand, encouraging one another because, because when you run into that wall, it is frustrating. But we gather once again on these Sunday mornings to hear our Lord say, it's worth it. It's worth it. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Amen. I invite you to turn to our Confession of Faith, the Apostles' Creed, as found on page 41. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering. Continue with the responsive prayer of the church on page 42. Please rise. We pray. Lord God, our maker and preserver, we praise and thank you for all that you give us day after day. We are not worthy at all the mercies you show us. You have given us your precious word to nourish our souls and to protect us from the temptations of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. We thank you for those who teach and preach your saving truth at this place and everywhere. Grant them a rich measure of patience, wisdom, and love. Heavenly Father, we pray that you shield us from every kind of danger, sudden catastrophe, the terrors of crime, and the pain of disease. Watch over those who travel by land, sea, and air. Keep our loved ones from whatever perils may threaten them. Heal those who are sick, cure those who are sad, calm those who are distressed, and comfort all who are old and infirm. Bless our land, our people, and those who hold offices of high trust. Keep our government and schools upright and strong for the advancement of good citizenship and useful vocations, that we may enjoy your gifts of peace, security, and well-being. 
please rise for our closing prayer. O Lord God, our Heavenly Father, pour out the Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us strong in your grace and truth. Protect and comfort us in all temptation, and bestow on us your saving peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Brothers and sisters, go in peace, live in harmony with one another, and serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. for our final hymn. especially uh, Mr. Jonathan Mayer and his wife Emily and their children. Um, Sounds like a little choir of angels here during the liturgy.
Um, the announcements are listed for you there. I just mentioned the most important one. Um, during our Bible class hour, uh, Mr. Mayor will be talking about art in the support of gospel proclamation. Um, he's a very accomplished artist, and it looks like he brought his newest piece of artwork along today. Um, and that's going to be on display at Bethany Luther College in Mankato. Um, I don't know if we have a whole lot about our congregational update. Romans can come on up. And the other one, this uh, insert that you all got, you'll notice that it's for Pentecost 17, which is next week Sunday. Um, so that'll, if you use this during the week, that can help you get a little bit of a preview of what we're going to talk about next Sunday. Okay. Uh, next week we have our quarterly voters meeting, so it's time for a congregational update. I just have a few minutes to highlight a few things. Um, we finished up the service in the park and the uh, church booth at the fair, and a big thanks goes to all the congregation that was involved in that. You know, it's a great community event for both of those, and uh, we enjoyed some good weather as well. So... Um, the next thing on the list is we are scheduled for a church uh, cleanup and work day, scheduled for October 7th. That's just less than two weeks away. Um, we're looking to do some annual cleaning down here, uh, maybe paint some windows, replace a fan in the parsonage, um, just different things like that. So if you have some time that morning of October 7th, uh, we should be able to get a lot of those things taken care of. Um, Committee work has been continuing. Um, the evangelism committee has been meeting. Um, you know, I thank all the members of uh, all the committees, especially evangelism. That one, we were looking for a chairman, and uh, Jim Johnson stepped up for that, and, and all the committee uh, folks that are involved in that. They're doing uh, planning and scheduling. Uh, for the coming year, and so uh, we're very blessed for that work that goes on. Uh, when it comes to the budget for us, um, uh, year-to-date financials, I believe, as uh, we have 429000 uh for all of our accounts rolled together. Um, for our worship offerings for the year, we've closed the gap that we had a little bit. I believe we were around 6,500 behind, uh, and now I think we're in the neighborhood of 6,000 behind um, as far as uh, our year-to-date worship offerings to our planned budget. Now, that budget was significantly increased a little bit to uh, try and meet the, you know, health care costs and things like that, but, um, you know... Uh, as far as uh, building beside Quiet Waters, our building a fund, um, the, uh, the group, John and, and company, uh, Joy, and uh, they were able to send out statements to, uh, to everyone to show us where we are uh, as far as our plan, and uh, we're doing very well to the plan, and so we're very thankful for that. Denise Malcolm continues her recovery, uh, our fellow member. There is a fundraiser tomorrow night at Pizza Ranch, so if you like pizza and chicken, uh, maybe it'd be a good night to uh, head out to the Pizza Ranch and enjoy some of that. And uh, the tips will go for uh, her benefit as well as 10% of the receipts. 
Um, I think that's all I have. Pastor, do you have some? Um, the only the only thing that I would add is just our Bible class schedule. Uh, Tuesday nights is our what we call our CAP class. Um, so a lot of what we talked about in the sermon today, we actually discussed a little bit this last week um, in in class about the difficulty of speaking up um, and you know <laughs> having somebody you care about um, who is who's not a who's not a Christian. Uh, Wednesday evening is still our small catechism class. Um, that's obviously for fifth through eighth grade and anybody else that would like to attend. Um, and Saturday morning is our Bible Basics membership class. Um, all that is on your calendar in your bulletin. Thanks so much. God bless your week.